You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. But first, guys, let's talk about the news of the week. A lot of big money flowing around, it feels like, uh, this week. Maybe a sign of good things to come because we had some broadcast rights. And let's start with the second biggest deal in NFL history. Dak Prescott, four years, $160 million. Lynchy uh, trailing only Mr. (laughs) Mahomes, but... That's a big old contract for Dak. Well, we always say things are much bigger in Texas. And, uh, it's, been a big, <laughs> it's been a big week in the state of Texas, which we'll get into a little bit later on in this conversation. But, yeah, Dak Prescott, uh, as Jerry Jones says, I've uh, spent more money on things that uh, were less important to me or something to that extent. But I think it's a great move. Prescott, I think, is, is probably the face of the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. And outside of that uh, really bizarre ankle injury, um, I think he had them moving in the right direction. So unlike Philly and the Rams who gave up on, and the Lions who gave up on their quarterbacks, uh, Jerry Jones is not giving up on Dak Prescott. So I think it's a big move. And $66 million of that $160 million package is in a bonus, and that is right. big Texas-style cash. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, that, that you say that they held on while others didn't. Because, you know, Michael Barr, we're looking at an unprecedented sort of quarterback carousel, derby, whatever you want to call it, this off season. We're probably going to see more movement than we've ever seen at that position. And so it is interesting. And, you know, I, as, as you like to say, I'll say the quiet part out loud. Hmm. It's one thing to reward Patrick Mahomes. He's got a ring, and then you know back-to-back trips to the Super Bowl. Dak Prescott, no rings, no trips to the Super Bowl, and yet there is a lot of, to, to Lynchy's point, a lot of optimism around his potential, and ultimately that's what an investment is all about. Well, let's be honest, that part isn't that quiet because a lot of yeah. people have said that about Not Dak quiet Prescott. if you're a uh, Cowboys fan, yeah, right? it's But, I mean, it, good for him, it, and I've always said it. If you can get the money, go get the money. Yeah. I didn't think – that that was going to come together. I thought they were going to move on from Dak Prescott, but they got it together, and uh, Jerry Jones obviously likes Prescott, so let's see what happens this season. I want to see what other components the Cowboys put together to help Dak. Right, right. Well, and Lynch, it'll be interesting, too, because speaking of that quarterback derby, I mean, listen, that number could actually be exceeded by, you know, one of the quarterbacks that's voting out there or somebody who's coming into the league. And the biggest question mark is also in Texas, it feels like, or in Texas for the moment, and that's Deshaun Watson. Does he end up uh, somewhere else? And, you know, this is coming after he signed a massive extension uh, with the Texans uh, for year 156 million dollars so not quite Dak Prescott money but pretty close and he may not even stick around in Houston you know uh, we had Mike Tannenbaum on uh, uh, about a month ago on this show and he says you know there's four or five moving pieces in this offseason and let's see where they all come well four of the five are now settled Uh, Stafford Goff Wentz Prescott and Watson is the still the only one that still is up in the air right here. Um, Nick Casario, who left the Patriots to be the uh, personnel director and GM of the Texans, says there is no way that we're getting rid of him. He is going to be our quarterback. But guys have said that and changed their minds before. Yeah. So it wasn't in Texas, but it was still down south in Atlanta over this past weekend. There was an NBA All-Star game. 
Uh, LeBron James, not a huge fan of that. Uh, let's hear what he had to say. I have zero energy and zero excitement about an all-star game this year. Um, you know, I, I don't even understand why we're having an all-star game. Well, and from a fan's perspective, that definitely showed. If you were watching uh, the All-Star game, uh, LeBron uh, was not in, uh, in, in peak focus, uh, shall we say. Uh, lowest ratings ever, and yet, you know, people did tune in. There was a certain amount of excitement. Uh, you know, we heard Adam Silver talk right ahead of the game about this notion that this is economically important in the short term, but also in the longer term, the brand of the NBA, the international reach, etc. Um, so, you know, it's done. We moved on. There were a couple uh, COVID cases related to the Philadelphia 76ers and a barber, apparently, uh, that kept both Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid out of the game. But you know, this is a money question bar in many ways, and that's ultimately why they did this. This this was about money. Oh yeah, it, everything. It's a business, uh, and, and let's not forget that. Uh, yes, we can be fans of a team or fans of a player, but the bottom line is, it is a business. And if you, I have to be honest, if you were watching this year's NBA game, All Star game, it's because you probably were in some daily fantasy sports. Right league and you were trying to rack up some points uh for whatever but I, I mean i have to admit it's this probably had a lot of low energy for a lot of fans and lebron uh, just uh, stated it there yeah he did he he uh talked about saying the quiet part out loud so let's move back to texas briefly lynchy if we can mm-hmm. uh the revenue mix we know especially in baseball a lot of it has to do with the gate well the gate is going to be fully open for the Texas Rangers opening day, it's going to be full of Rangers fans. Uh, they're in Arlington. I have to say, this stunned me when I read it. How about you? Um, well, it's Texas, and yeah. I know that there was some news from the governor, uh, Governor Abbott, I believe is his name, down in the state of Texas, Greg that he's op- yeah, he's opening up the entire state, which means no masks and, and, and anything goes. And this came right on the heels of it, 40,000 seats at Globe Life. Now, they used it last year for the, uh, ch- uh, the League Championship Series right. and the World Series, but only 12,000 fans were in. They have a retractable roof, so I guess you could say they are playing outdoors if the roof is open, but... Is this going to be a super spreader? And it's going to be open to full capacity for two exhibition games before the official opener on April 5th. I think the whole world is going to be looking at this. They're going to be the focal point of the world when this happens to to just see if if this thing is a super spreader. Yeah. I mean, I will say from a cultural standpoint, and this is a little bit less about business, but, you know, I had a chance this week to go to my first sporting event literally in a year. Um, We had a tiny amount of fans that were allowed in for a playoff basketball game for my son, who's a senior in high school. And I got to tell you guys, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I was sitting in those stands. And it was even sweeter because they won. They were down by five with a minute and a half to go. They came back, uh, moved on in the playoffs. And so it was an exciting room, even though there were very few of us there. I mean, there were probably less than 50 fans uh, in a gym that holds a thousand people. But I do think there is an economic response to a cultural and social deep-seated need and we love sports i mean that's why we do this show i mean we're fascinated by the business side but ultimately all three of us we're fans of all levels of the game and and i do think that 
that's part of what we're wrestling with, not to get too existential about this. Um, clearly, it's a money question, but it's also a, a human question, lynching. Without question. Uh, it's just such a, especially with, with your son playing his senior year in high school. Now, if he's playing for the Dallas Cowboys and he loses a game this year, he can come back and play next year. He'll never get his senior year back again. Right. He'll never get a playoff game back again. He'll never get you in the stands again uh, watching him play in a high school basketball game. And I think the the emotional price of, of, of this game, of, of you being there, you know, if it would fire exceed, uh, it's priceless, as they say in the MasterCard commercial. Priceless for you and all the other parents to be there. Even if there are only 50 of you in a gym that probably held right. about a thousand people. It, it really struck me as I was sitting there and, and taking it all in of, you know, we talk about the importance of sports. You know, one of the reasons it generates so much money is there is something deep seated in us that responds to it. And that's why we're willing to, you know, pay whatever it is, whether it is a ticket price, whether it's paying for, you know, extra coaching for our kids and leagues. And we talked about the big money in youth sports a few weeks ago with Ben Sherwood. And uh, it really is a reminder, though, especially as we think about it's been a year. I mean, it's been almost exactly a year as we record this since Rudy Gobert in the NBA had that first COVID test. And that was the thing that just triggered, you know, March 11th, uh, 2020. We will always remember that day because that was the day that the world stopped and the world stopped for a year. Absolutely stopped for a year, and it was. Uh, and we have not been the same since, and we won't be the same going forward for a long time. I bet you we won't see him touching all those microphones like he That's did. True. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. Today, we're delighted to be joined by Angela Ruggiero. She is the Sports Innovation Lab's CEO and co-founder, former ice hockey standout, gold medalist, four-time Olympian with Team USA, Harvard Business School, Hockey Hall of Famer. Uh, So much to talk about. Angela, really nice to have you back with us. Hope all is well with you up in the Boston area. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great to uh, great to be back. Well, so much has happened in the world of sports, and we were talking right before we came on uh, to start recording that you know one of the reports that that you and your group have put out that I was just fascinated by, and I think I speak for everybody with this is the top twenty five most innovative sports teams and and sports franchises. L- let's start there because. I was blown away by a number of different elements, how much the pandemic has obviously changed, but also how much these teams are really doing. And there are, at least to me, some surprising elements of this. I I wonder what surprised you as you sort of put it all together, you and the team. Yeah, well, thanks for calling that out. We um, So as the CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab, from day one, we've been thinking about how do we use data to really understand the industry? How do we help help the industry evolve? And as you mentioned, the pandemic has really accelerated change, accelerated the need to do things differently, um, moving the industry at large from I would say more analog, selling tickets and kind of the same business model to uh, a digital transformation. Everyone's recognizing the industry has to do more to service their fans, which is what we focus on at Sports Innovation Lab is the fluid fan, as we call it. Um, So we've been looking at it through the lens of, you know, the report uh, for for many years. How do you drive more revenue? Uh, How do you invest in the right technologies? And how are you actually structured in the right way? And, um, you know, I don't think there were 
many surprises, um, only because we've been thinking about this for four years. But my big takeaway, um, I think, was just how over-reliant we've been um, on the traditional revenue streams, the, yeah. the revenue diversification pillar, the, the specifically um, ticket sales, merch, um, uh, broadcast rights, um, you know, the sponsorship. If, if you remove those, which we did from the report, and, you know, you looked at all the other ways that you can drive revenue, really trying to then think about enterprise value, um, you know, the takeaway for us is a lot of teams didn't score on here that, that have fantastic game day experiences, fant- are known to be, quote, innovative, um, but when you strip all of the what they're you know the core elements of sports away, which is what happened during the pandemic, the usual way you make money, and then rely on other ways to touch fans, service fans, support fans, um, you know a lot of the international football clubs emerged, which you know I would have thought the Cowboys and the Lakers and mm-hmm. some of these you know sexier teams would have scored higher. But again, we were talking about enterprise value and, and diversification of what you're doing. And it, and, and it doesn't, I guess it doesn't come to a surprise if you then think about, you know, a lot of these football clubs have been around for, for decades and, you know, millennia, uh, you know, they've been around longer than some of the North American clubs. Um, and so they've been thinking about this and really trying to, to be global and diversify what they've been doing for, you know, pre pandemic, but the pandemic just really, cast the light on what teams were doing for what they weren't doing. Looking at this report, people, especially here in the U.S., when it comes to soccer, better get with the program because uh, this isn't anymore, oh, they play it in Europe now. No, no, this this thing is super-duper huge, and we're going to get left behind in the U.S. if we don't catch on. And I just want your thoughts on that. Yeah, I would say um, – you know, the game day experience, the, the, some of the, the bells and whistles, I think North America absolutely crushes it. They're, you know, we are definitely ahead in terms of providing that in-game. You know, think the Vegas Golden Knights. There's all these amazing examples of, of teams here in North America um, that over-deliver in some ways on the game day experience. But then but what, what this report was about was, again, enterprise value. It's, it's long-term growth. It's touching fans where they are in a personalized way that, you know, these football clubs, these international football clubs have already started, say, you know, their own OTT channel. They've, they have a women's program. Um, they have, uh, they've invested in esports. They've, They've already been doing sports betting, and that's by nature of the laws in Europe versus where we are here where we're just catching on, and you legally can't do sports betting in certain states. So some teams get dinged for that. But the report was about what are the possible ways you could um, touch your fans, deliver an experience to your fans, and ultimately create revenue, drive more revenue and wallet share from those fans. And thinking global, um, thinking uh, what are the different assets you can build to support your, your core fan base? The football clubs um, checked a lot of those boxes in this, in this report and in our analysis, which I'll say isn't a report. It really to us is a strategic roadmap for growth. Um, so uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that the U.S. and North American sports teams are bad. I would just say we're focused a lot on the game day experience. 
and less on the overall enterprise growth. Mm. Um, and increasingly, you see a lot of private equity firms and and, and, and money coming into the space, um, uh, financial instruments. They're looking for that that bigger um, that bigger play. So, uh, so we're doing things well in the U.S. and in North America. Um, but are we really focusing on again? Getting to fans where they are, how they want it, that personalization, that, that is one thing that the football clubs in this uh, analysis really, really stood out for. So, Angela, I'm looking at the list of the top 25 here, and I'm just going to focus in on a couple of American franchises uh, in your top 10, the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. I never would have picked those two franchises. What are they doing right that, like the New York Knicks, the Boston Celtics, the Dallas Cowboys, the sexier franchises are not doing? Yeah, if I, again, um, <clears throat> what's interesting, the league with the most amount of teams is the NBA. Um, so just to, to those examples, um, you know, do you have a multi-use district? Meaning that's one way you can touch fans before, during, and after 365 days of the year. You're, are you building a facility that can, can touch those fans and give them more opportunities to interact with your brand and spend money on your brand? Um, are you investing in, again, the, the technology platforms that allowed your fans, even if they never stepped foot in a facility, which during the pandemic was, again, highlighted, um, look at the ownership groups of those two properties specifically. Um, they're technology, uh, technology uh, billionaires. I mean, so what's the – and that goes into our organizational agility pillar. Are you, from a leadership perspective – uh, if you're an owner of one of these teams uh, or, or uh, you know, the CEO of one of these teams, you have the right team underneath you that can execute on that vision, that can make the right build by partner decision. So I was shocked at some of the results as well, believe me, but I've always wanted to produce a report that wasn't influenced by my opinion because I would have gotten a very different list if it was just my opinion. Um, right. you, you guys all would have a different list if it was your opinion, and that, I think, is what the industry has been used to is, hey, we get in a room, we talk about it, it's what, who we can get to or what we've read that week. And this report was really about, like, let's, let's lay the ground rules for what we think is important in terms of growth. Again, revenue diversification, technology alignment to what your fans want. Are you investing in the right technology, what your fans want? And are you structured in the right way? Do you have the right teams in place to, get, to have access to new ideas and really look and feel like your fan base? Um, the, the teams that played well there, uh, you know, invest in those areas. It comes from the top, honestly, and I guess that's my point. Like, some of this is just looking at who your leaders are and, again, how they're thinking about um, investing and in supporting in their sports franchises, not just having killer game day or not just winning. We hear that a lot. Well, if my team wins, everything else, you know, falls into place. And what this report, I think, isolated is, um, but, I mean, look at the Knicks, like, to one of these examples, like, even if you're not winning in some cases, you can still drive a lot of value and, and be innovative. Um, it doesn't just have to be on the court. Yeah, just look at the Knicks as the beginning of so many different, uh, just so many different conversations, Angela. You know, you know, as you're talking about the the different facilities and and the different ownership structures and whatnot, you know, one of the things that that intrigued me reading through the report was, you know, you talked about some shared facilities, uh, and specifically, I believe you mentioned, you know, what's going on in Los Angeles and the the soccer franchises there, and I believe you're going to have LAFC and Angel City. 
the mm-hmm. you know, soon-to-be-playing uh, women's soccer team there, sharing a facility. And that leads me to, I think I'm, I'm not making too far of a leap, between some of the other work that, that you're doing around the fan project, which is about engaging around women's sports. And, and part of it is the physical location. Part of it is the engagement. Tell us about the fan project, because this is really about elevating women's sports in many ways. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so, again, we've, we try to be data-driven in, in everything we do. Um, our analysis, our recommendations to our clients is about that, um, so that when you know we produce lists or reports or research reports, it's all about what does the data say? And we realize that the number one question this industry gets asked and tries to answer but cannot do successfully, in our opinion, and I think most would argue the same, is who is my fan? Literally, who is my customer? Who is the consumer of sport? Um, a lot of uh, the industry today looks at their own CRM system. They might have demographic. They might have email, an um, email list. Um, but they don't understand the fan in terms of their different behaviors. And that's what our fluid fan research has been really focused on over the last four years is, like, behavioral analysis. And so um, – I tie this to women's sports and the fan project because right now how we measure interest in sports is almost exclusively focused on Nielsen ratings, on linear viewership. And there's a chicken and the egg problem here that if we are focused simply on measuring one fan behavior, which is a very important behavior in this industry, watching, um, you're missing out on all the other behaviors that would indicate and demonstrate fandom, interest, money on the table. Uh, fans are co-watching. Well, who's measuring that? Fans are buying. Well, that sits in a different data set over maybe fanatic zones. What, uh, what are they betting? Okay, all the betting providers own that data. All these different data sets are disaggregated. And what we're focused on through the fan project is looking at fan interest, fan demand, behaviors of fans, and measuring that. And so what we're doing with women's sports is actually asking fans to give us their social media archive. And I believe because the vast majority of women's sports fans cannot view online or cannot view on linear TV. I think it's 4% of viewership is, is allocated to women's sports. But there's a lot of fans out there. They're forced to go online on Twitch, on, on different OTT, the whistle, other other OTT providers, other ways to, to show interest, they talk about women's sports online. They like athletes. They share content. They create content. There's a lot of activity, which we hope to measure, and then produce a really um, amazing data-driven report on the business opportunity of women's sports. So we're attempting through the FAM project to show with data that there's a hell of a market out there that's currently underserved because you're measuring the wrong thing. You're measuring something that's very important, but again, back to the chicken and the egg problem, it's not the only indicator of, um, of fan demand or fan interest. So uh, if, you're, if you're listening and you care, go to thefanproject.co. Help us out. Uh, we're literally going to do good with your data. We're going to try to turn it into a, a, a recommendation to the market. Um, that shows that there's a lot of interest out there. And it might be the fluid fan. It might be the casual fan that doesn't watch women's sports, 
right. but occasionally liked something from the women's soccer teams like, ah, oh, that's awesome. Well, that to me shows in our data, hopefully will show that um, enough of those people that are casual fans, if you put more on TV, they'll watch it. If you build it, they will come, um, not the other way around. I want to expand on that because what you guys are trying to do at Sports Innovation Lab, the end result is you want to increase the coverage of women's sports to 10% of all sports coverage in 10 months' time. Can you expand more on that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's we keep referencing the 4%. Um, I think uh, with the right um, information, we can drive more investment. And investment could mean financial investment. You see all the money flowing into Angel City and Washington and all these women's soccer teams, WNBA now. Um, it could mean investment in terms of sponsorship, which certainly is a main is one of the main pillars of, of any sports ecosystem. But viewership, we found, is also look the whole the whole ecosystem works when you can be on when you can be live and when you can be on linear. Um, so we're trying to push for more visibility of women's sports and had a whole, a whole campaign uh, under the hashtag she did that, uh, which is, Hey, if you, if you are inspired by a woman, by women's sports, um, tell us about it because we know if you can, if we can see more, you know, Billie Jean King, one of my great friends um, and, and role models always says, if you can see it, you can be it. And so we want to get more visibility today in international women's day, <laughs> get more visibility You'll get more um, interest, and you'll you'll change the industry and the ecosystem. A lot of people say, "Oh, I'm not interested in women's sports." Well, they've never seen it. Maybe outside of the Olympics, it's it's hard. To, it's literally hard to be a women's sports fan. So we're hoping to to move the needle from from four percent to ten percent, just put a stake in the gown in terms of where we want to go. All right, Angela, capturing the fluid fan. Who is and what is a fluid fan? <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they're everywhere you guys are fluid we're all fluid fans they're all fluid by nature we all don't do one thing we all don't look alike the fluid fan is about this elusive fan this fickle fan in today's environment especially you know coming out of covid that demands more that wants a personalized experience that is digitally savvy that um cares and votes through their values and watches according to who they are. And again, it's, it's, it's shifting away from the one-size-fits-all approach. Look, we're on linear. It's at this time. Ticket sales are this way. It's, no, we need to do more to um, understand this, this ever-changing fan that wants these different experiences. They might want to – they probably never go – I'll just use the NBA as an example. Maybe they've never gone to an NBA game, but they know every single player because of NBA 2K. Maybe they are, uh, they're the one buying the top shot. Maybe they're, uh, everyone's, I'm sure, following the top shot example, Dapper Labs and the, the blockchain that allows you to own digital right. cards now, basically. Maybe they are simply using their phone, literally just a, a consumer that's not just buying tickets or watching on linear is a fluid fan because they're using their phone now. They're more digitally savvy to consume content. They might watch something on Twitch and talk, all these behaviors I can talk about. They, they're open to change, I guess. They don't, you guys, I don't know your favorite team. I was a Kings fan growing up. I was a diehard Kings fan. I, I grew up in L.A. I love hockey. Um, but they're open to change. I'm a fluid fan now. I'm, oh, I live in Boston now. I'm, okay, I'm a Bruins fan. 
they're empowered to choose because of technology. We've given them multiple platforms, multiple options. So they're empowered to do more as a fan, which is fantastic. Again, back to our top 25 report, you need to give them more experiences. And the key point is they're constantly evolving. You think you know your fan one day, and they change. We all change. I order my groceries now with two clicks of a button because of the pandemic. I'm more digitally savvy. Well, I expect the same of my sports experiences, my entertainment experiences. So they're constantly evolving. So the fluid fan, it's hard to nail down in a sentence, but that they are like digitally savvy. They expect more. They want personalized attention. And you don't, you'll never truly know who they are, which means we have to really pay attention to our fans, maybe for the first time in, uh, in, 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 the, in the sports industry's lifetime. And so, Angela, give us a, a tangible example of something that you've seen a team do or you've advised a team to do that responds to that sort of fan. Because what you're describing, if you sort of play it out to its logical conclusion, you know, ultimately undermines the economic model in many ways that we have come to associate <laughs> especially with pro sports across all the major leagues. As you say, it was all about the game day and, you know, is the food good and are the sight lines good and, you know, can you park and and all those different things. What are some things that you've seen teams do to sort of adapt their business to this fluid fan? Yeah, I'll I'll tie that back to our top 25 report because that's literally what we did. We said if you take away the core elements, we're not saying – Throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Yes, you still need your broadcast. You still need your tickets. Absolutely. This is about the R&D budget. Where are you spending money against new experiences, new ways that fans want to interact, um, new ways to drive to drive revenue? And if you go back to that report, um, top 25 teams in the world, some of the trends that emerge, I think, will answer that question for you. Um, uh, 80% have a, a paid fan membership. What does that mean? You're going to drive more revenue, but you're going to give them more unique custom experiences. Uh, 56% of the teams have their own OTT platform over the top. Why do we recommend that? Yes, it's a new driver revenue. We also begin to understand your consumer, collect data on your, on your fan, and, and again, be able to, to create more personalized experience for them. 52% had a women's property. Well, that's not, oh, here, it's a loss leader. No, it's, there's a new funnel. That's why people are investing in eSports as well. It's like it's a new funnel into your core asset. So women's sports could be an investment in and of itself, but it's also, again, if you're, if you're talking about the enterprise of a, of a team or a property, we think is a good way. 72%, I think I mentioned this before, have play in a mixed-use environment, which means, again, you're bringing fans to your stadium for other experiences, it's, it becomes a, a focal point of your community. You get more wallet share that way, more awareness. Uh, I mean, I can keep going on and on. Uh, uh, incubator programs, 58, yeah. 48% have an incubator program. Again, new ideas, new ways to think about um, uh, what your fans care about. What are these products and services hitting the market? Do you understand them? Do you, are, you, are you on top of the ideas, not just the products that come out of incubators? A lot of times startups fail, you know that. Just like where is the market headed? What, what are these young entrepreneurs trying to solve for? There's a, there's a, there's a gap maybe. So um, a lot of the report, again, ties back to that question, which is there are simple things you could do. You could sh- literally, I mean, a simple recommendation. Do you have is your Twitter 
profile in more than one language. Like, wow. Make sure you have a, a Spanish Twitter profile. Something very easy. If your fans don't all look and, and sound the same, what are you doing to build out that ecosystem, which is all technology-enabled, as we know, um, to really support them? And, and the great thing is, you know, COVID exposed a lot of that, but we see a lot of teams now really pushing forward with their digital transformations, with trying to think through um, how do they create more growth uh, underneath them. And, uh, and ultimately, if fans, I'm going to go back to the stadium. I'm, I'm like, can't wait to get back to the stadium. But some fans may not. Yeah. They want that really great lean-back experience at home. Maybe they have two or three screens where they're interacting and they're betting and they're talking. Um, are you able to build out that, that kick-ass experience at home for those fans that want to, you know, stay at home? So, again, hard answer, but, like, there are some easy things you do, just simply, like, can you communicate in their language? Um, and harder things, which is invest and build out your own maybe OTT product that allows you to see who these fans are. Yeah, a lot of disruption coming uh, for sure. And, and as you rightly said earlier in the conversation, Angela, uh, the pandemic has, has just accelerated so much. Really, really good to catch up with you. Um, you just have your finger on the pulse of, of so many interesting things. Can't wait to have you back and uh, hopefully back in the studio before too long because I think we're all itching to get back to, to stadiums, to offices, to, to all those things that, that look a lot more like normal life. So thanks again for spending some time with us. Always a pleasure. Always a fan of you guys. Keep educating the market. I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing as well thanks a lot angela thanks angela so guys really interesting to to catch up with her doing your alma mater proud on the ice and afterwards uh lynchy what really jumped out to you i mean she is whip smart clearly and she's in the room where a lot of big decisions are being made about the future of sports well what blew probably all of us away was that top 25 list and i expected to see a lot of american teams in there but the first american team I see in there the Golden State Warriors, the Sacramento Kings, the 76ers, and the Raptors. Where are the Dallas Cowboys? Where are the New York Yankees? Where are the Knicks? And she said the sexy franchises. I would love to be in a room with Jerry Jones when he looks over this list and says, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, ladies and gentlemen, what aren't we doing here? We need to be in that top 25 list. Yeah, and Barr, you know, it does speak to, you know, how much maybe we take for granted uh, what's going on in the rest of the sports world. It also really points out, and we've talked about this a lot on this show, how much sports has really had to adapt over the last year. Oh, my goodness. In the, we're just getting past the year anniversary of where it was declared that COVID was a pandemic. And everything changed. And all of a sudden, NBA games are getting canceled. Everything is getting canceled. And now teams had to scramble to find new ways to make revenue. And and Angela brought up very good points when we were talking to her about that, uh, what teams had to do to be innovative. Yeah, it, interesting too, Lynchy, this notion of the fluid fan. It was fun there to talk to you. Uh, to hear from you and and her at the end, kind of go back and forth because you know we've all been doing this for for a long time, and fandom has changed in a lot of ways. And I feel like you know we speak to and probably consider ourselves 
pretty hardcore fans, but you know, the more modern fan sort of comes in and out of different teams, comes in and out of different sports, consumes it totally differently. And the teams have to think about that in different ways. It is not one size fits all anymore. No, it's almost like, as she said, a, a playlist for the yeah. fan. The fan wants to engage directly with the athlete. They want to, they're open to change. Uh, they want to watch games on different platforms uh, as opposed to linear television. I mean, this sort of ties in what we talked at the top of the show, uh, the new uh, contract with the ESPN, the National Hockey League. They're not, they're not only going to be broadcasting linear games, but they're going to be in ESPN Plus. They're going to be in Hulu. And that is the fluid fan. Um, I didn't know what a fluid fan was. Uh, I'm I'm probably part of a fluid fan right now, and I'm going to jump in and and be part of that. Listen, a new moniker for Lynchy. Always growing. Always growing. Uh, you know, Barr, the, the one thing that does strike me is, you know, we, the three of us on the show, we, we are no um, – we're not shy about talking about our own allegiances. And, you know, we're taping this on a week where Georgetown, my beloved Hoyas, have made a, a deeper <laughs> – certainly deeper than expected run uh, into the tournament. By the time uh, people are hearing this over the weekend, I'm sure it'll all be over and ending in tears. But that's okay. That's okay. And if you want to learn more about uh, Georgetown, you can listen to our podcast uh, from just a week or so ago with Patrick Ewing. But, you know, it, it is interesting to – think about how fans are increasingly willing to follow players and and maybe not so much teams anymore. It's not like it was when we were coming up in terms of these, you know, sort of truly like franchise players. Well, back in the day, especially, you know, when I was a kid, the only broadcast you got of any team was the local broadcast. So you got the Pistons and that was pretty much it or the Lions, whatever. If you wanted to see... Uh, a national game, you probably had to wait until uh, the NFL Monday night football game or or maybe you would see uh, something uh, Sunday afternoon. Now you can just – you have a, a, a whole buffet of watching whichever team you want at any time. You can record it. You can watch it. The whole thing has changed. It's not like everybody sitting down in front of the TV set anymore uh, all at once watching a local game. It's all changed. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Guess what time it is. It's that time. You know, I'm I'm freshly emboldened, which means that I'm going to get my butt kicked this week. But, you know, I I don't dread this, you know, like going to the dentist like I used to. Because, you know, I got a couple wins of late, so this is going to end in tears. Go on. You might get this one. This one. The NFL, uh, they have now issued a new salary cap for each team in the upcoming season. What is the salary cap? So, I did see this, and I, I know by way of context, it's lower than the last yes. two years. I'll give you that. It is it is lower than from 2020. I will say that. Uh, and, and I know there was, a, there was a point something in there. I think, uh, I, so I'm going to go with... I think it's God. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna botch it, but I feel like I read 182. Lindsay, uh, it was 198. I know it went down to the 180s. Uh, I'm gonna go. 
182.1. Wow. You know what? You're that dude on The Price is Right, man. It's 182.5 million. There you go. go. That's a good win. But you know what? That's that's a spirited contest. I feel good about that. Like, if I had said, like, 70, then I would feel like a dolt. But, like, at least I knew. At least I was close. At least I was, you know. What's 500,000 bucks, you know, between friends? Come on. Come on. Man, if I had that, ooh, Lord, you don't know how many PS5s I'll buy, man. You know, but on on a serious note, I mean, not that this all isn't very serious, but, like, it is interesting the machinations that we're going to have to see, like maybe yeah. on the margins, maybe more than on the margins, when the salary cap goes down, all of a sudden you go, oh, wait, wait a second. So that deal that I negotiated, I mean, we were just talking at the top of the show right. about the Dak Prescott deal, the Mahomes deal, the Deshaun Watson deal. You know, those are all predicated, I think, on numbers going up. Right, Lynchy? Correct. So now... You're going, to see, you're going to see a lot of big names. Uh, the Chiefs just let Eric Fisher go. Uh, this is going to, between now and St. Patrick's Day, some big names with big salaries are going to be come tumbling down. This is really going to cause, uh, I think it's going to cause havoc yeah. uh, over the next week. Yeah. By the way, in case anybody's wondering, it's a drop of 8% from 2020. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah, that, that's yeah. pretty big. So. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, especially given, and we were talking about this earlier, just, you know, Forget the quarterbacks. I mean, there's always a lot of movement in the offseason. And if you have got essentially 8% less to play with, that's, you know, anybody who, who's ever gotten a, a pay cut or a pay raise, for that matter, of 8 or 10%, like, that's real money, regardless of what you're talking about. So, yeah. um, and, and when you're talking about this much money and all the money that, that's sloshing around, uh, you know, we'll see where this goes from here. That's a, that's a really good one. Nice one. Nice one. You were good. Yes, though. sir. Good, good job, Lynchy. Good job. But you know, I'm not. I'm not as angry with myself as sometimes I end the show with, like walking away, being like, "You call yourself a business journalist?" You know, like it's, it's just sad. It's sad the, the things that I say to myself, guys. All right, you've been listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week for you at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcast. Catch those on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter. Jason Kelly News. And I'll take the washer and dryer combo. Thank you very much for my win. Uh, Mike Lynch, you can follow me at LynchyWCBB. Yes, that Speed Queen Deluxe. <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Dick Barr Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.